No matter your niche, it all comes down to the fact that most will listen. Some may even take notes, but only a few will press the damn button. Join global keynote speaker and digital futurist Brian Fanzo as he brings you the secrets of those that have pressed that damn button and transformed their lives and businesses in ways that will inspire us all. Brian, over to you. Welcome back to another episode of Press the Damn Button. And we've had a wide variety of my friends join the show. And I say friends because I've really only had my friends on the show so far because I'm very blessed that way. And we've talked all kinds of different things, but we have not had a futurist geek out. And on this episode, we are going to have a little bit of a futurist geek out. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite people, not only a great person, one of my favorite presentations as a speaker that I've watched in the last three or four years, uh, Crystal gave. And to me, that was like, it was one of those things where I was like nervous and excited and then nervous again and uh, watching her do her thing, which we'll talk a little bit more on that. Uh, but yeah, shout out to our sponsor, Restream.io. They are the ones that allow us to broadcast this episode. We are on LinkedIn, LinkedIn Live, Facebook Live, Periscope, YouTube, Twitch, all of the channels. You can go live up to 30 channels. Uh, the nice part is all I had to do was send Crystal uh, a link. She was able to pop in the browser and jump into the show. So it makes it super easy and you can have up to 10 guests in the window. And when I say super easy in technology, I think Crystal, that's where you and I are going to have some fun uh, on this conversation. But uh, Crystal Washington, welcome to the podcast. And uh, give us a little bit about how would you describe yourself? Because I've actually had people a lot recently on interviews say, well, Brian, what is a futurist? Or why do you call yourself a futurist? And it's a weird question to ask, because it's almost like, what do you, you know, asking us what we do? Because like, I don't know what I, I depends on the day, but I right. uh, a little bit about you know, what, how do you describe what you do and a little bit about yourself? Well, as a futurist, I mean, all we're really expected to do is look at what's coming up and we, we're not, you know, we, we don't have crystal balls, but we're looking, we're doing horizon scanning is what it's called. So we're looking at all the different trends and we're figuring out, you know, what are the things that could happen? And then what are some of the things that maybe people aren't expecting that might also pop up too that fall into our area of expertise. So most futurists have very specific areas they concentrate on. Like I'm I don't I'm not a medical futurist. I have no idea what's going on over there other than the things that I read. So that I just kind of explain it to people as I'm somebody who looks for trends and shares them before people are expecting them. And it's very interesting. I mean, and I'm sure you're the same way living in 2020, so many of the things we've been pushing for years from the stage. I've had clients emailing me back saying, "Oh my gosh, this all happening right now. It's speeding up right now. And, and so that's that's all it is. And, and my job is, and I'm sure you'd say the same thing about yourself, is to help people. Yep. You know, I, I'm on the side of technology like you. I don't love technology because I love software and hardware. I love it because I love people and I understand what it makes us do. It turns us into superhumans if we use it and we don't have it use us. Yes. Oh, and I know like those that know me know just hearing Crystal explain that know why that uh, I was super excited to have her on because, you know, I talk about like translating the geek speak and simplifying the complex and and finding the synergy between like innovating and humanity. And I, I think that's kind of like that, that beauty. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about like where we're at now, because I'm sure like you, we both had like this interesting part where people are like, I should have listened to you. And then a combo of like, well, you're happy because everything you've been saying is now in fast forward. And it's like, how can I be happy? Well, at the same time, it's an interesting piece of that. And we'll get into that a little bit on the show. But before we get there, 
Talk to me a little bit about Crystal Washington, middle school, high school, college. What was like, what were the things that you liked to do? Was technology part, like where did technology fit into your life early on? You know, I, I think it wasn't so much that, well, I was definitely a sci-fi nerd. So I loved sci-fi from a very young age and uh, kind of the dystopian novels and stuff like that. Um, so maybe I never really thought about it, but that might've been the connection of technology there. Honestly, I'm just someone who's scrappy and gets things done. And so I think if you're somebody that I was that person that no matter what organization I was in, even as a kid, even in my family, adults would say, we can't figure out how to do this or that. And I'm the one fixing things or pulling things apart or finding a guide to, or going to the library, figuring out how to do it. So I think the technology connection was a natural progression because if you're someone who figures out shortcuts to getting things done or the most efficient ways to get things done, technology is going to come into play. So I, I don't think it was ever about the technology. I think it's my mode of thinking that made technology a natural solution to a lot of things. So, so in school, so like for me, I have very similar, uh, you know, uh, experience. Cause for me, like, I remember like I, I won a, uh, a speed typing uh, competition in high school. Right. And uh-huh. like, for those that are listening that are under 30, like there's a, like for me, like in, like I graduated high school in like 99 mm-hmm. and like high school, the only thing we ever did on a computer or anything that was a, was typing and like the newspaper, right? Like that was, those are the only two worlds that had uh, <laughs> newspaper, which is weird when you try to like make yourself sound old there. Um, but, but like for me, I, I wanted to get into sports broadcasting mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, like, hey, I did a speed typing and people were like, well, you must love computers. And I was like, well, I love that computers allow me to deliver the things that I want to deliver and, mm-hmm. and you know, how that works. And I'm curious, you know, as like in your, like being influenced early on, because mm-hmm. part of what this is, is we have, we'd be willing to experiment Willing okay. to, you know, I'd say fail forward. We talk about mm-hmm. a lot of fail forward, but I think it's also even um, allow failure to be part of the the experimental process. Right. Someone or something or like a moment you remember that you're like, hey, that, that I'm comfortable in that in that arena. Well, with technology itself, I mean, when I was in elementary school, um, I was kind of like a again, I was a nerd, so I was like one of those straight A students. But I remember I, my grades were so high that it was like me and maybe two other students where we didn't actually always have to go to class anymore. It was it was kind of funny. And so we were like the computer lab assistants. And it's funny, I never I never drew this conclusion, which is so funny, right? Until you kind of made me go there. But I spent a lot of days in the computer lab. So we're teaching everybody else. Yes, we're doing typing. We had this crazy computer called like the AS2000, which was this massive machine at the time that could like play Jeopardy. Oh yeah, Jeopardy. I was gonna say, I think I remember that one. And I was a killer. Let me tell you, um, Carmen San Diego, we're in the oh, world. Oh. I quote that all the time, right? And I, uh, yeah, Carol the Robot. We had Carol the Robot with, oh, yes. Uh, Oregon Trail. Oregon Trail. Number Munchers. I was a killer. Oh, so yeah. I guess there was, a, and it's funny you made me think of this, I guess there was that connection because I did spend a lot of time in the computer lab. And and so I'm curious <laughs> you know, from that side of the house, right? Spending time in the computer lab. Mm-hmm. Like I know, like I went to like the truth on, like I picked I, I struggled through school. So I was the geek that loved school, just didn't like class. And like, I enjoyed, you know, that piece of it. Um, and I struggled to get into the university that, but I ended up picking the university that hired the highest female to male ra- ratio. Cause I was like, <laughs> Oh, it's a, a party school. And there's nine to one female to male, which is what mm-hmm. my university was. Mm-hmm. But in the tech space, especially like those early times, you mm-hmm. had to be one of the only females 
what, what gave you that kind of the confidence to kind of be okay with that and kind of play in that playground that I'm sure it was hard to see people that were not only your friends, but like kind of connect those dots? Well, I think what helped me is that I'm black. And what I mean by that, it sounds funny, but there are often times growing up where I was the only person of color, right? And so when there's times where you're the only person of color, it's not weird when there's times where you're the only woman or female either. You know, you you get used to being like- Got comfortable, got comfortable not even, oh, it's, that's an interesting way of thinking. And, and oftentimes my audiences now, a good portion of them happen to be older Caucasian men. And me, there's times where I've been on stage, Brian, where I am literally- the only person of color and the only woman in an entire conference of over a thousand people that has actually happened to me once I was the only American too. So I think you, you just become used to it. So I can be comfortable around any kind of person. And as a kid, there were different times where I was thrown into those situations. So it, it wasn't, I think when it's all, when it's almost always been your existence, it's not odd anymore. People are people. And so, and I, and I think that's an interesting one too, because it kind of segues into where you're doing now, right? So like being comfortable, being the only one, you know, I, that was a lot of my experience in the government. Cause I was the one that was like, going to wear the backwards hat. I was the guy that, you know, like I wasn't going to tote that line um, in that, in that little arena that I was in. And so I'm curious, like, as you were, when you went to school and even, was there something that you wanted to be when you grew up, when you were like kind of picturing what you were going to be, it was, what would, what was your role? Oh man, what I wanted to be when I grew up changed like all the time as a kid. I, you know, at one point I was thinking attorney because I, I'm related to some and I'm a researcher, like, because right. I'm crappy. I find information. I'm really good at that. And, and then how I chose my major, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll be a business major instead. That'll prepare me for anything, right? Business, great. And then the Conrad and Hilton College of Hotel and Restaurant Management contacted me and said, we will give you a free ride. And the University of Houston, where they're located, said, and we will give you thousands of dollars extra. <laughs> and then a couple endowments in Houston said, if you stay in Houston, we will give you more thousands of dollars. Scrappy, remember? And so what I realized was when I looked at the syllabus, it's basically the same class as a business degree. You just have to like people and you know know a little bit about food. So you can't kill people with salmonella, <laughs> right? And I was like, not only free, but make money to go to school? Or, and I could have gotten in most play. I, I had really good grades, but I, again, scrappy, I understood not having student loan debt. So that's how I chose my major. But wow. even in there, I, I went towards sales and marketing. I was, no, I wanted to be there. But even going through college, I still relied on technology because what I noticed was, and this is something you've, you've probably, I mean, most people have seen this, even in elementary school, any project that you do, if you market it correctly, if it's packaged right, you can turn in a C project and get an A every single time. I'm not saying I was throwing out C's, but technology helped me outshine a lot of my peers. And so I was known to produce, my projects were excellent professional quality every time. And so I was using technology to aid me. Sometimes I'd have presentations where we turn them into games. And so everybody's playing different game shows with the computer in the front of the room on the projector. So technology just enabled me. And that's really what I focus on in my conversations to do more, to be more, to reach more people, to make that impression. That's interesting because, so for me, like I went up going to college and get like the computer science major and mm -hmm. was like overwhelmed with science as a whole, overwhelmed mm -hmm. with programming, mm -hmm. database class. Maybe I was never been so bored in my entire life and was like, <laughs> this is not for me. I kept like I had early on, I associated technology with stuck in a cubicle and like mm -hmm. my personality was never that. Like I was 
assistant captain ice hockey team, president of my fraternity. Like that just wasn't, and, but there was something that always drew me to that technology. And part of it was like the ability to roll with the punches, the ability to be like, you know what, I'm going to figure this out. I love the way you use the word scrappy. Cause I think, you know, for those that are listening in the world we're in now, I think we're all figuring out this, what this new normal is going to look like, figure out how we're, you know, we're having new experiences, new ways to do things. And I think part of it is being willing uh, to be scrappy, right? And kind of finding out that that path. Were you someone, uh, I, I mentioned earlier that you gave one of my favorite uh, presentations in the last couple of years. Were you someone that was always comfortable? Like, were you an introvert, extrovert? Did you identify with someone that was comfortable speaking in front of friends? Or, because you said you're the, the nerd and some people would assume that means introverted. But how, how were you in that in that arena? I'm extremely introverted, but I can turn it off and on. I've always had this switch where I can make a decision and for that period of time, I'm out there, I'm doing whatever needs to be done. And, and then when I'm done, the switch turns off and I need to go into a corner and read a book silently. So I'm curious, like, I love that. Cause like, there is like that, like that balance. And so like, as we look at a lot of the things that are going on and you, you're connecting a lot of the dots, you know, in your past to where you're getting at now, you know, when you think about the, that journey of technology and maybe what we can do for our kids, cause like, for me, not only was my major also changing, but like, I don't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And mm-hmm. um, Saba, who was on the episode that, uh, for those that are listening on the podcast, uh, on the episode, this previous episode, uh, Saba and I were talking about a lot about that as well, right? Like, I mean, for me, the pressure of telling your kid, asking your kid, like, what do you want to be when you grow up, when that adult has had 15 different jobs in the last five years, right? Like, <laughs> such an interesting uh, arena like, what are your thoughts on, like, self-discovery and exploration while at the same time we want to give kind of, like, people a path uh, to get to where they need to go? What are your thoughts there on, like, that and, and what it kind of impacted you being able to explore and then even, I mean, taking such a creative opportunity for college and being willing to, you know, be scrappy with even, you know, something like that? Well, I mean, so, again, even though I had that major, technology kept coming to play. I remember for my one of my internships, I was given a project by corporate with Starwood and I remember it would have taken me three months and I made friends with a guy who worked for the company that was a programmer. And I was like, Hey, is there any way? And he wrote a whole program that helped me do the job in about a week. Right. So there's still that technology connection, even through what I did, even when I worked in corporate America. But I think one of the things that helped me, especially when it comes to scrappiness is I was exposed to a lot of different things growing up. I was exposed to a lot of different cultures I went to schools where everybody was poor and where there were shootings. I went to schools where I had friends where almost everyone owned horses and was extremely wealthy. And so I've seen the extremes. I've been around different cultures. At one point, I went to the high school that was most diverse in the country. I played a French horn. Don't. Hey, I took three years of Latin. So I I was tossed. I was in Girl Scouts. Literally, I was in all these different clubs, but all these different exposures put together. When it comes to being scrappy, now you have a larger pool to pull from because you're used to thinking in different creative ways. I am not a parent, but I'm I'm, I'm kind of like a super TT. So TT is what my my aunt, my nieces and nephews call me. And I have a nephew that's here who's nine years old, who he spent a crazy amount of time with me in his life. Uh, Pre-COVID, about once a week, he'd spend the night since he was two weeks old. Wow. And the way we approach things is this. One, he doesn't really watch TV at my house. Um because he watches it elsewhere, right? But he is exposed to technology. So we have things like, I don't, I might've taken it to his house, but we, we have all kinds of things like um, circuit. I, I forgot what it's called. Snap circuits where they, oh, yeah. you know, since he was like five years old, we do those scientific experiments. I mean, I have things I can pull out kits right now. Um, 
we did do some computer work. We made videos together with explosions and different things using his, what are those little spin tops they all play with now? Oh, yeah, I, don't, I, I, we, I think I have one sitting on my other desk over there. <laughs> we live at museums. He and I are a member of different museums. His favorite place in the world is the Museum of Natural Science. So he was exposed. He's been flying places with me since he was a year old. He's one of his favorite vacation spots is Puerto Rico. He's been a couple times now. Oh, nice. So I, I think my goal as an aunt is mass exposure, showing them as many different things. And he knows now, I, I asked him the other week, is there an instrument you're interested in? You're playing football, you're doing this and that in school. And he's th- throwing around three ideas for instruments. I'm like, if you want to take up one of those, TT will get you lessons in an instrument. So for me, and again, I'm not a parent, so my, my viewpoint's different. I think exposing kids to as many different options and types of people as possible is key. And then they'll just have a bigger pot to to go back to in terms of solutions for things later in life. I love that. I think not only that exposure, but that, you know, being open to different ways to find a solution, right? I think that's some of the beauty about uh, technology today is like, you know, my, my, you know, I often hear, I'll hear things like, oh, wow, Brian, I had no idea you knew that. And I was like, well, I didn't know the, the right way to do it, but I knew how to accomplish what you needed to accomplish. Right. And I like that's a lot of it too. Like not only for raising our kids, but like even the way we approach things. But I think there's also an interesting part of that in the corporate world. And I know we both share in our having corporate world experience, you know, in our in our you know bag of tricks, which I also think is part of that beauty of this space is that, you know, when you figure out, when you have that experience, like we were just talking about, it gives you more examples to pull from, you know, good and bad. Talk about your little, you know, what was your experience like in the, in the corporate space? Okay. So I, I held, well, actually, I guess I held three positions, but my last two positions, I was in sales. I was a sales manager for a hotel company and killed it. That really wasn't so much technology. I mean, I, I was super at a CRM, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't something that required a great deal of technology that required more of an understanding of people. And so because I understood how to build relationships with people and I genuinely cared. Right. So it wasn't fake. Like if, if I'm building a relationship with you, I turn on a switch and I want to get to know who you are and what you care about. And I was just really good at making deep connections. And what I learned is if you're good at connecting with people, you're an excellent salesperson. It goes hand in hand. And what's funny is, Brian, being the millennial that I am, you know, I graduated in 2000, so I'm I'm right there with you. um, We get bored also. So after a few years of blowing my numbers out of the water and sandbagging, because I was afraid I'd I'd, I'd increase my um, goals by too much. So I, you know, I'd stop at 125% any quarter. After so much of that, I got bored. I remember telling my boss, okay, I'm bored. Um, I need some numbers or something. I see the revenue manager just quit. I want that job. And he was like that. That's insane. He's like, nobody does that. You're making all this money in sales. You're good at it. Why would you? And, and revenue management in hotels is basically, it's almost like the front end of accounting. It's a marketing position, but you do the projections and things as well. And you're in charge of reservation. But I told him, I said, you know, either you can give me that job or I'll find someplace else because I have a great work history. And so I, I basically almost blackmailed him, give me the job. So he did. And then I had this number crunching job. And then I was using technology and I was in charge of all of our e-channels and I was figuring out some of our promotions. So that's where technology came back again. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's always been there, but there would be times where I'd need a solution to something and technology provided the best case scenario. You know, I remember do, running statistical programs on things that were happening, but basically creating my own because they didn't already exist for the hotel. And they were just like, this is great. This is helpful. How did you do it? What program are you using? When I'd show them my spreadsheets on how I did it, 
you know, they were like, okay, I don't understand what's happening. So I, I just think it's always there and helpful um, in terms of helping us move forward and just showing us things that we can't already see. I, and I love that. I think part of that thing with corporate world too, is I love that you said like, you knew what you wanted and you kind of like went after it. Right. I think for whatever reason, people often assume that's an entrepreneur only can ha- make that, make their own uh, path to success. And so, uh, you know, as you know, in that space and like, you know, where would you say, like, if you had to look back, like where was some, like maybe either a mistake or something that a journey that you went down that, that was, you know, maybe found you. Cause like one of the things for me was, like I had this vision of being a technology evangelist. Guy Kawasaki was like my hero. Like he was the guy I was like, I want to be like him. And for, I oftentimes it would have, like I would have tunnel vision to where like, I want to get that job. I want to get that role at a company. And and that often, you know, it could have really hurt me from being able to pivot and move around. But I also think it's good to kind of have that vision. Like what were some for you that, that you would like think about in that, in that kind of same vein? Well, one of the things that I think could have led me off track Okay, because it sounds like you're asking something where you had the vision that really wasn't your path. I thought I was going to be a director and then a VP of sales for like Starwood or Marriott or something like that, or probably not Marriott, but one of the trendier brands, right? And that was what my mind was focused on. But what I haven't shared in the story is that the company that I worked for, they had a lot of internal issues. And so, you know, in the end, I was dealing with sexual harassment. You know, when we go on trips, one of my boss's bosses, Remember he called my room at midnight one day and propositioned me and I just totally went off on him. I was dealing with uh, some ethical issues where the company wanted me to do some things that were not ethical because remember, I'm on the projection side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I was dealing with racial issues. I, you know, there were emails in my inbox about killing all Muslims and, and Negritos moving into neighborhoods and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so in my mind for a while, I thought maybe you have to deal with these things because everybody else I knew that it climbed up, any woman, any person of color, they they dealt with it and hardened them. But what I realized at, at one point in time, which just kind of came to me, was that this isn't your path because there's only one of two endings for me. I'm not judging anyone else. Either you absorb it and you become this or you become bitter, constantly battling it. And, you know, maybe you're here to learn some lessons along the way, but maybe this isn't your final destination. And so there actually came a point where I quit, like something came over me and said, time to go. It was a crazy, it was like a voice literally told me to leave. And I left and started digital marketing for like it literally it's, it's a, I won't get into the long story. It's a little bit of a long story, but it's funny where literally a voice was like time to go. And I was like, what? I might need a prescription for Wellbutrin or something, (laughs) but I had so much peace behind it. I was like, okay. And so I left and I started at my, my first company, a digital marketing firm. And that's actually what led me to where I am now, because it started with smaller companies because there's, you know, the, they're agile. You can right. go for mom and pop. And then I started getting contracts with Google and Microsoft and British Airways, because this was before they were really using social media right. on, a, on a larger scale. And then from there, people start asking you, everyone's a member of some type of uh, organization, all the clients are like, oh, well, you know, we're having our, our meeting this month. Can you come and speak? And and so I would do it as a favor to people, Brian. And then finally, I started getting so many requests. I was like, these aren't billable hours. I'm not getting paid. You know, my subcontractors aren't getting paid. And so the first organization, after I'd made the determination not to speak anymore, I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm just too busy. And they said, but we'll pay you. And I said, oh, <laughs> And that, that was the beginning of my speaking career. When I looked into it, professional speaking, I was like, 
I'm doing the wrong thing. And so that's how I am where I am. But if I held on to that original thought process, because I was going to be Miss Corporate, I look great in suits, you know, and I was like, I'm going to be Miss Corporate in the black suit and look sharp. And that wasn't me. Wow, that's so interesting. I, and I don't think I even realized that tie between, because I loved corporate world. Like, I loved it. I I loved the ability to change. I loved the security, but also, like, I didn't have to sell or market, but I could, you know, I had, like, the room to spread my wings for all, you know, intensive purposes. But there, you're right. There's also a lot of corruption and things that were going on. And, I, you know, and I'm, you know, like, just hearing that all you were having to deal with that, right? This reminds me of a soapbox that I go on a lot, and I would love to hear your take, where... Okay. Like, I don't look like people, there's been a, there's like, a, you know, we had the Me Too movement and we have Black Lives Matter, a lot of things that are movements that are going on. Mm-hmm. And there's oftentimes like the, man, I can't believe social, like social media is making the world a, better, a worse place. And my reply always has been, no, it's exposing the bad that has been going on for too long. And we have yeah. a choice. We can blame social media or technology, mm-hmm. or we can fix the humans that have been doing bad stuff for a long time. But I can honestly say part of what like my exposure to all of that. And it wasn't until uh, about almost five years ago when I was uh, separated, that was kind of my first exposure into kind of the polarization and some of the things that were going on prior to, I lived the very like clouded existence of social media. I'm also a male. So I don't have like another side, right? As soon as I started like seeing my female friends DMS and I was like, what? And so when you look at like, you know, what social media has enabled us. But when you look at some people that that there are plenty of reasons that, you know, people that will say will blame social or tech. Mm -hmm. And as you said, like it's kind of been emerging for us. How do you approach someone that's kind of, you know, let's say, say either concerned about it or they make statements like I hate Facebook. It's nothing but, you know, hate and people that are, you know, my old friends posting pictures that are fake. Like, how do you, how do you approach that? So, oh, that was a big question. So to layer it, um, first off, yes, I, I do believe that social media is not creating these ideas. It is freeing people who've always had them. Because I'm someone who yes. I've always excelled. I've never made excuses for anything. I've never used my race or my gender or anything else as an excuse, right? And even I grew up originally the first few years of my life, we really didn't have a lot of money. None of it was an excuse to not achieve. But even then, you know, from childhood, I encountered teachers when I went to that really uh, wealthy school where it was almost completely all white that literally said to my face in front of my mother, oh, someone like her can't possibly this this can't possibly true of her records from Texas. We need to put her back. This is obviously not true. Um, And in corporate America, I mean, I, I said I dealt with the inappropriateness and and seeing what that looked like and. I still have emails to this day. I mean, I could pull them out of boxes where you could see the amazing, horrible things that were sent from people across political persuasions, contrary to what people believe sometimes, you know, it it had nothing to do with liberalism or conservatism. Some people are just ugly. Um, So it's already there. The blessing for me is that through social media, people are being free to expose who they are. And so now we have a chance to really work with what's there. It's almost like an infection. If you don't know the infection's there, if it hasn't kind of bubbled up yet, you'll know what's going on. But once you see it, it might be yucky, but now you can treat it. You see where it is. You know where you need to operate. You see where you need to go. And so I think with social media, we have a very unique viewpoint into people's thinking. And, you know, I I would often look back at pictures during the Holocaust or I look at pictures during the 60s where people getting hosed down and 
and and even seeing when they were putting you know Japanese Americans in horse stalls, some of the pictures that have lasted from those time periods. And I would always wonder, where are these people? What were they thinking? Well, now we get a chance to see what these people are thinking. And we don't like it because we're so used to civility. So I think there's this call on social media. People need to be able to agree to disagree and talk more civilly. And I agree if people are talking about tax rates, but I don't agree if it has to do with human rights. There's no nice way to say, oh, please don't advocate for me dying or please don't advocate for me. You know, please don't for me being this. It's weird. Um, You know, it's also weird and new for a lot of us, right? Like I think like I, you know, like growing up, we both were very similar in age. Like my exposure to the world was very limited. Like I was very limited in my exposure. And then like at now we have, we can, we know where the grass is greener, where it's not greener. We know people's inside and outside laundry. Like we, we know it all. Right. So I think we are all figuring out like, now that you know, before we could put blinders on, we could just, hey, like, you know, this is where I grew up. These are the friends I associated with. They might be all white. They might be all black. I'm going to this, you know, like we almost uh, allowed ourselves to live in that. Right. And then all of a sudden now we're like, hey, we have this exposure. We have these things that are going on, which we both look at. Like when we, we jumped on uh, pre-show today, I was like, how are you? And you were positive, optimistic, excited. Right. And I think part of that, too, is that we are all learning this together and being able to kind of figure that out. But I also think like there is a time to like unfollow or mute or, you know, figure that out. How do you look at that? Well, okay. So there's, there's a couple things. There's a part of me that is very mature and there's a part of me that's very petty, Brian. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what petty me does, because I think some of the people listening will enjoy this. So what petty me does is I decided a long time ago that on Facebook, I would get really frustrated when I would see people that were making bigoted statements, right? And they they never think they're making bigoted statements. They, In fact, if you challenge someone who makes a bigoted statement, they're like, ah, freedom of speech. And it's like, no, no, you can say what you want. You just said something that was really ugly towards another group of people. And so rather than having conversations with these people, and I don't mean randoms, I mean either people I know, because we're, we're seeing the people we know being exposed now, right? right. Or um, like one-offs. So you're on a friend's post and you see their friend post something. There'd be a part of me that would tighten up when I'd see somebody say something really ugly about another group. Didn't matter if they're black women, disabilities, Asian American, Mexican American, Latino as a whole, the bigger picture. It was just, you know, and what I started doing is I said, you know what? I'm going to transmute their energy. I'm going to be a magician. So now what I do is whenever I see an ugly post where someone's making a bigoted comment against a specific group. I come afterwards and I say, thank you. And I tag them. Thank you so much, Cindy, for showing me how much work still needs to be done. Mm. Thanks to your words, I've just made a donation to, and it has to be a group that directly combats right. who they were targeting in their statement. I love that. I just made a, you know, I just made a donation to X group in your name. Just keep in mind that without your words, they would have never received this blessing. I have to get to work, so I'm not going to be able to come back and see your thanks but just know that your words matter heart. And then after that, I post a picture of the receipt of the donation made in their name. And then I leave. And what happens is, is I'm freed. I don't have that anger anymore, that irritation. Their words literally were combated through a financial donation. Now, some people might look at that and say, that sounds expensive. It is, but that's what I was called to do. And that's how I deal with it. And it's funny because it also shifts the energy of the whole post because I'm not, I'm not debating. I'm not saying anything snippy. <laughs> yep. Donation and go. 
Uh, so that's one way that I deal with it. Now, occasionally, if someone's open, I'll have a conversation because we are not all exposed to the same things. I have not always been the ally I should be to all different groups. You know, this isn't, especially in the United States, this isn't a simple pyramid. Right. Everybody has their foot on someone else's neck, if not multiple people. And so if we all do the work of making sure that we're speaking up for the people that we could have potentially hurt or we could potentially hurt, if we all do that, we all rise up together. And really, you want to talk about futurism, Brian. This isn't about any one particular group getting rights over someone else or this is about longevity because we can't continue at this pace. Yes. We see what this looks like. People are done taking, eating poop. Right. Women don't want to. Black people don't want to. Native Americans don't. Like everybody's done now. People with disabilities are suing all the websites now because yep. they're like, we've been telling you. Everyone's done. Right? So right. the only way to move forward as the United States of America is if we open up dialogue and figure out ways to truly be inclusive and, and again, not it's not about elevating anyone over anyone else. It's not revenge because that that's stupid. Yeah. It's literally about making sure that we're a country as good as our promise. Wow. I love that. And I love that. We have some live comments here talking about how deep that is. And I, I, I don't want to like I usually say like the end where I'm going to push your buttons or push back. Mm -hmm. But as I was listening to that, your maturity and composure to be able to take something, because I've always been a big believer that. If, if you can use the word open, and, you know, someone that has an open dialogue, right? And, and this is very simplifying, but you see where I'm going is like, I've always had a joke about Apple and iPhone and I'm mm -hmm. like, my brand is iSocialFans. Mm -hmm. And I always said, I will have a discussion about Android versus iPhone. Mm -hmm. If the person positions it by selling me what they love about the Android. But mm -hmm. if it's like, I hate iPhone, blah, 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 blah. I'm an Android user. Right. I always understand that as you are not open for a discussion, you are someone that has your own view. And, and that's very simplifying it in that scheme. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. your ability to, you know, because I think this is where we get into this. And I saw a good friend posted even today where it's not about as much having to feel like we have to debate, but mm -hmm. rather figuring out how we can turn this into a learning opportunity for ourselves, mm -hmm. how we can, you know, not be overwhelmed. What do you say to the people that said, Crystal, I'm not at the place where you are, where you're able to look at that and say, and it's not about, it doesn't have to be financial. Like, I love the, where you put that because it's, it's more about figuring out for you. Like one of the things for me has been shrinking my circle of influence of who influences my business, mm -hmm. while allowing myself to be friends with people. I, I, mm -hmm. I got this arena of like allowing everyone's opinion to impact my business decisions mm -hmm. and then you're just kind of pleasing no one. But how do you look at, how do, what, what would you say to someone that says, when I see a bigot post or I see hate or I see people that are assuming that you can blame one group versus the other, when we know that not everyone's alike, how would you help them kind of see the light on maybe approaching it differently? Well, I think it's about seeing balance. You'll appreciate this because this kind of goes back to your example. I'm an iPhone and Android person, right? <laughs> hey, I'm, an, I'm an iPhone and Android too. So look at we both. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. But um, no, I'm, here's the thing. You know, I've, I've been a woman my whole life. And I've been black my whole life. And I've been an African-American, which aren't necessarily the same thing. Right. Um, and what I've learned is the difference between someone who's open. And it's not about pushing my when I say open, I mean, we can have a conversation. Doesn't right. mean I'm on the right. But there's sometimes and I, I think it's dangerous to turn everything into a conversation because some people actually are hateful. Yes. Some people actually are. And it doesn't mean they haven't done great things. I mean, we can go through history and some of the most scary people have done something positive for someone. 
I've gotten really good at identifying people who are just black hearted. And it's not normally because they're born that way. I mean, some people are, but a lot of them, it's things that have been done to them, right? I'm not going to spend energy there because they're going to turn into an energy vampire. So those are the ones I'm doing the donations on because I want them to see their words cause the opposite effect. But for other people, it, it depends on my mood because you only have so much energy. Right. And so you have to decide. Now, keep in mind, I'm talking about when I'm the target. Now, when I'm not the target, if it's not my gender or my race, then I tend to have more discussions. So, you know, mm. if someone posts something crazy about Asian Americans, especially right now during COVID, people posted some pretty goofy stuff yep. or things specifically about specifically Mexican-American. I'm, I'm being very specific. I mean, Latinos, I mean, Mexican right here. I can have a longer conversation because while it's frustrating, I, I'm not hurt in the same way. Does that make sense? Yes, for sure. And so that's why I, allyship is so important. I'm not saying I'm anyone's ally. I don't believe in bestowing that title on yourself. People right. have to give you that. I agree. But this is why it's so important because the people who are being targeted are emotionally hooked into that situation and they are tired and it hurts. And so if you can be the buffer in those conversations and drive it so that they don't have to, do it. So yeah. that's, that's when I'm more likely to taken. And occasionally I'll even shut people down where it's not the donation. If I see they're attacking someone and someone in that protected group is being hurt, that's usually when I shut it down. You know, I I think that's, that's how I see my responsibility. So, you know, there's no right or wrong, but I would say if every time you're getting off social media or every time you're interacting with uncle Joe on, you know, for Sunday dinner, if you're drained, you need to switch your strategy and you might need to test out different strategies but you shouldn't be drained every time. So like I said, my little donation thing was the ultimate because I can leave every single one of those interactions and feel like, ah, and keep moving. Yep. And keep <laughs> moving. And I think that's beautiful. And I, I, a good friend of mine, Troy uh, Sandage uh, is in the chat and, and Troy has actually been uh, a guest of mine on some other shows as well. And he does some great content and things not only about giving back, but like, you know, I think part of this comes down to shifting perspective. Yeah. And I think what, aligns the two of us in futurism and the futurist side and technology is that a lot of times like both of us look at it and we like we care about humans not technology right technology for technology's sake is what cloud computing turned into the booms and the the breaking of everything right anyone that looks down that route it's just ridiculous and it's why we have you know all these companies that have gone away and things that have, have happened but there's also this idea of like how do we simplify experiences how do we help translate with what's going on how do we bring people into a world that they've never even opened their mind to and i and i know that's where we're at with a technology side right because virtual like you know uh, and for those that don't know uh, crystal also hosts uh, a podcast uh with the national speakers association um and i'll make sure you plug that at the end and crystal and i had a conversation early on in COVID about virtual and like, you know, and just the ability to go all in and figure out this space. And I've loved seeing you succeed in that space as well. And I think there's also what comes into this and, you know, let's face it, 2020 is a very interesting time. Like every day, um, you know, with, you know, with Chadwick Boseman uh, most recently and actually John Thompson, uh, you know, the co-chair of, uh, Georgetown and Northern Virginia, someone that I was lucky enough to meet twice. I actually got to meet in high school, uh, J.R. Reed, who was an NBA player. Um, his brother went to my high school and uh, J.R. Reed, uh, who ended up, his J.R. Reed's dad ended up coaching, but John Thompson came and hung out with us. Like, I mean, I remember every, uh, him there. And I, you know, I think about all the things that we're learning and we're listening right. and we're, we're open. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things that really inspires me about 
the way that you handle things. But even when I reached out to you about um, this show is about like, hey, Brian, this is where I'm at. But like, I'm not like, I'm not going to be that token person that you're looking for. I'm not going to. And, you know, for those that listen to, I believe it's episode three, um, Jared, Jared's on the show talking about he's an activist, full-time activist. Mm -hmm. And he shares a lot of the same things that we both are talking about here Mm -hmm. in the idea of knowing when to have a conversation, knowing Mm -hmm. when to cycle things yourself, but also understanding like allyship and where you, you know, where you set. Right. And I think for me, one of the biggest realizations of COVID has been, I need to reset my perspective from where I'm at currently in my life Mm -hmm. compared to allowing my perspective to still be influenced for where I was when I was 30, which was nine years. Mm -hmm. And like, like I've even gone back and watched some documentaries. One of them, which was, valuable to me many years ago was called Baltimore Rising. And I live here in Northern Virginia. That, I mean, it impacted me drastically many years ago when it first came out. Mm-hmm. During all the things that are going on, I decided to rewatch it again. Mm-hmm. And I found myself in tears and I found myself re-examining a lot of the discussions. And a lot of it was the idea of like, Brian, there was lots of times you made the decision to mm-hmm. stay quiet or to back channel something mm-hmm. and you weren't helping you weren't mm-hmm. technically hurting, but you weren't helping and like, figuring that out, right? And I think something that's beautiful about social and technology that you said as well is we also have to remember there are bad people doing bad things and no technology, social media will fix that. Like mm-hmm. it's never going to fix that. So where we're at now and where we're going, we have to kind of figure out where, where that balance is. So what are some of the things that you're hearing people are either learning or being exposed to during COVID that is helping them either face new challenges, new opportunities, or for me, it's been a new perspective. Well, I think one of the number one things I've noticed, especially with the audiences I speak to, even now virtually, right, (laughs) is that people are capable of so much more than they thought they were, especially with technology. Because I remember so many times I would speak to groups and there'd be a few people that come up after and say, that's amazing, but I don't know if I can do that. Or, you know, I'm too old. And I'm like, but you're not. And well, I can't learn this. You can, you have to make a decision. This, you know, and the stuff I talk about, Brian, I'm not as experimental as you are. Like people, you're the one who is hired to come in and show all the coolest new things. (laughs) I'm the one who's hired to come in to sneak in little new things and keep everyone's blood pressure from shooting up. So we have two different kind of, and so I'm like, so I'm not introducing anything to them that's just, and and it's funny because some of these same people have now come back and said, oh my gosh, Crystal, I was able to do this, 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 and this, and what you taught me and so much more, I didn't know. So what happens is when we're pressed, we see what we're capable of. So we're seeing that. Um, and that's been amazing to see how many people have adapted. I think people are also learning how important connections are, whether that's virtual and in person. We're being led to examine how we relate to each other. And, you know, one of the things I'm hired to talk about the most now is how do you forge and maintain relationships from a business perspective? I'm usually talking to like, yep. you know, financial services and, and people that are realtors. But how do you do that in this environment? And I show them ways that you create genuine connections. I don't mean yep. fun a little, let's make a sale, but it's possible. And there's things you can do to add the tangible touch, even when you can't physically touch someone. So I'm real big on that. So, you know, we have this new world we're approaching and everything is driving us in this direction. And when I say everything, I mean COVID, I mean the human rights 2020 movement, I mean the international stage, I mean natural disasters. It's driving us to the direction we're supposed to go in. We just have to let go of what we've known to be the way to do things. Because if there's anything that technology and really life, I think, has taught me, 
is that our only real boundaries are what we perceive as normal. And once we give up normal, we can recreate anything and make it better. We already have the blueprints of what did and didn't work for any one system already. And so, you know, calling for workplaces to change and people to work more remotely, which they've been trying to do for years. years. Brian, <clears throat> I remember doing a BYOD event, also talking about virtual offices in Dusseldorf, Germany, 12 years ago, where yes. I was trying to convince these people, no, we can do it. 12 years ago, and they're like, impossible. <laughs> so, yep. so it's possible. You want to talk about reimagining police forces? We can do that. Like, we can reimagine anything that's going on around us. And it doesn't mean we have to dishonor what came before us or poo-poo on it. It just means that we can create an updated version, you know? And I, yep. I think that's what Zoom, that's what education has done. That's what yeah. these universities have been forced to do. So I would rather us choose to do it than be forced to do it for a lot of these outdated systems because we see how hard it is when we're forced. So let's just choose to look around us and see what's broken, what people can't agree on, what's causing challenges, and be open to the possibilities of something new. And oftentimes technology can exist. That's so beautiful. And that's so well said because we are, we've been forced into where we're at now. And that was like my reply in March over and over again. My reply kept being, well, I don't want people to be forced into virtual because I don't being forced into change is the worst way to be presented change of any kind. But I think the interesting part of COVID compared to a lot of other forced changes, especially for us as millennials, you know, 9-11 being one, a lot of those had a finite ending. We could almost we were like, okay, this disrupted us. Now let's fix. And COVID, we don't have that. We're like, we don't even know what, like, we don't even know where. The, the ending or the idea of an ending comes, right? And it's not a political statement. It's more of like, hey, we have to figure this all out. But I love how you said it's, you know, we have to find new ways to have these new approaches to the things that are going on. But I also think it's something beautiful where you kind of step people through, you know, getting to that spot in their own way. I'm the same with you as the sense of, you know, although I am the one that experiments, I believe you were talking about robots a lot in the, in the <laughs> keynote that I really enjoyed uh, mm -hmm. in, on that side. But I think there's something beautiful in watching people discover what's newly possible yeah. and open up their mind to say, what does this look like if it reinvents? Right. I, I like you. I mean, like my first, so I, my team of 32 employees, 30 of them worked remote in the mid 2004 to 2010. And okay. every six months I would get a letter. Um, we need to fix this. This is not possible. I'm like, well, it's been possible for six months. Give me another six months and another six months. Right. And then, when we lost the contract, they forced <clears throat> everyone to go work in the office and they lost all of these great employees, right? And I remember it being like my last straw of my government days because I was like, you, were will you, you forced yourself back into the old way of doing things for no other reason than because it was the old way of doing things and you, what you lost was great. So when you, where we're at now and like a lot of those these things that were going on, you have a very positive spin on things. You have a very optimistic look on all of this that's going on. Is this, is, is, how do you convey that to a lot of people that, that maybe see like, Chris, are you always seeing the bright side of it? Like, how are you kind of stepping some people through? Because it's not that they're hating, but there are a lot of people that are stuck in this, I don't know when the end is. And rather than me figuring out a new perspective today, I'm just mm -hmm. going to stick in this unknown muck. And five months of unknown muck is very, very long. How, how, do, you, how do you approach that? So I, I, I want to reframe if that's okay. Um, because I think 
people oftentimes think I'm an optimist, but people that know me well would say Crystal is by no means by any definition an optimist. I'm actually a realist. I believe in taking what's in front of us. Most people put on blinders. I look at it no matter how ugly it is. And now, Scrappy, remember, now I'm going to figure out the best possible way to drive through this. So to give you an example, you know, I remember in um, late February, I was keynoting for the National Speakers Association again. And while I was on stage delivering my keynote in late February, I was having a huge grocery delivery dropped off at my house along with masks and filters. Wow. February, right? So this is before our president came on and said anything. This is before all the mass event cancellations started coming. But as I was looking at all the indicators, I was like, this is going to be nasty. And once everybody figures this out, there's going to be a shortage of groceries. We're not going to be able to get masks anymore. So as I was on stage, my husband was home hundreds of dollars worth of groceries were being dropped off. So then then we needed to be shut up for a month. We had the supplies we needed. So again, I I just wanted to say, I'm not an optimist. I literally look around. So I would suggest open yourself up to be honest about what's Mm -hmm. happening around you. Open yourself up to realize that you can't rest on your laurels of yesterday. Whatever got you to this point is wonderful, but we're all going to have to constantly adapt. Whatever systems got us here as a country are not going to work going forward. They're not always working now. And so I think once we are realistic and now once we get a mindset where we want relevancy, we want to remain relevant, we want to remain viable. Now's when you become scrappy. (laughs) Start looking around and saying, okay, what solutions can I find? Let me see what will work. And then maybe we can incorporate some of the old stuff, the stuff that worked, and let's figure out what needs to change. So that would be my suggestion. You don't have to be somebody that poots rainbows. Those people that are just naturally like in denial, like, oh, everything's great. I want to choke them. That's my honest (laughs) truth, okay? I don't drink coffee. This is water. I don't drink coffee. I don't have anything to help me deal with those people, okay? (laughs) So just be honest and be willing and know that as long as you wake up with breath in your body, you have another day to be scrappy and make it happen. Oh, I love it. I love it. You get, you're amazing. And I was super excited to bring you on for many different reasons, but I love a lot of the approaches and even the confidence to take a question and position it back. Like, Hey, this is, cause I think that's a lesson too, that I think we're learning in this time is that we're oftentimes positioned or led down a path that we can take the easy route and answer something or go that way, or we can be honest and be truthful and even focus on like, what is the trust we can build and, and how can we make those things work? And so I, as we kind of wrapping this into the press, I'm pressing your button segment, uh, a part of the, the show. I'm curious, and we're going we're gonna to switch a little bit from the, to the sales marketing side of the house, because we have so much going on in the world and so many things, and people are changing how they work and how they connect, and we have birthdays over Zoom and like every all of that. Yet we still have to live, we still have to market, we still have to sell. For me, this has been a difficult one in many paths. And I, I think I've taken a, 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 the wrong approach a couple of times where I decided to do education and lift all all ships when mm-hmm. I could have focused on selling or marketing, which mm-hmm. let's face it, my business you know would have been good there. Right. How do you look at that, right? How do you look at that balance? Because we both care about humanity first. Mm-hmm. Um, in this world we're in now, when we know we need to sell, we know we need to market. How do you approach that with your clients? So- for me, it, it really hasn't been divergent. So I've, I've been very blessed. I've stayed busy with 
paid speaking engagements for virtual where I didn't, I wasn't like you, Brian. I didn't do a whole lot of virtual beforehand. Now I knew how to do it. I could do webinars when needed me to, but that wasn't really my business model. I was going in person on stage. <clears throat> the thing that catapulted my business into virtual, first thing I did was I furloughed my sales manager, but don't feel bad for her because she's still getting commissions on stuff that came through later. Okay. I said, no more selling. We're not going to go out there and try to sell people. This is not the time. I did that in March. What I started doing is I went to my assistant and I said, okay, Regina, I said, if we don't make another nickel this year, the business has more than enough money to pay you through the end of the year. So I just need you to know nice. that you're not stressed. With that having been said, now our only job is to make sure our clients are okay. And so I told her, we're going to split them and we're going to start calling them, just making sure, how are you doing? And if they need a therapy session where they just want to talk, just listen. If you hear something that they need that would make them smile, if you know this client loves cookies, or if you know this client loves XYZ, get it. And we started doing that. We would just talk to people. And, and I was sending all kinds of funny, but very specific gifts out to people, right? Like I'm vegetarian. I sent like a bacon meditation basket to one client. <laughs> bacon candle, bacon, all that stuff. But what happened was, is, and it wasn't about sales. And I told her this. I said, I don't care if we don't do another piece of business with any of these people. But I feel like we're in this position because we can care. And we can check on them. And they are stressed out. And they're being hit harder than we are because many of them are on the you know are basically on the rope for millions of dollars some of them. yes and so we didn't sell i haven't sent i have a list of twenty thousand people i haven't sent out a single email talking about i can do virtual or nothing i haven't contacted clients talked about i could do virtual but what happened was is i reached out to people just to make sure they were okay made them laugh gave them some solutions from other clients whatever if, if they're having issues with educating their kids i gave them something from another client that worked and what happened was people started calling me and saying, Crystal, can you do virtual programs? Yeah, I can. Okay, well, I need a series of three. Or Crystal, can you do that? So that's actually how it happened. It, there was never a push to sell. It was just being a good human and checking on people. And then in the virtual presentations themselves, I'm very empathetic. It's not like, you know how commercials now start off, oh, we're going through rough times. It's not like that. Like, it's not that corny. I know. It's like, it's like thanks. Thanks for putting it out before. We didn't realize that for the other... Yeah, no. So no, but it's realistic and it's honest, you know, and, and I acknowledge where everyone's at and they feel it and then I get spinoffs. So that is actually how sales and marketing have been going for me. I haven't I haven't created an updated video. I will. That's going to mention virtual and things yep. like that. I haven't updated my materials. None of it. It's just literally been reaching out in the very beginning, making sure people are OK. Haven't done that. Well, occasionally checking with certain people and I get business. Well, I, I'm going to say this from my side, and, and this is a great, I think, you know, the first hashtag I ever used on Twitter way back when, when I was trying to grow and people were like, how do you connect with these people? I always said, show you care. Yeah. And I've used you as an example of someone that has always cared. And I will tell you, your reputation amongst our peers, amongst people that, that we both know that know you, that the word caring is always in the forefront of when they explain who you are and what you are about. Even the idea of, wow, she's a pleasure to work with. And I'm like, I like who she is, right? And I think for those that are out there that are struggling, like when you put in the work of caring long before people need you to care, mm -hmm. it just doubles down. I think that your success is the result of caring for having that mindset of giving back and giving to charities and approaching people in new ways. And I also think your confidence and ability to not be peer pressured or not be pressured into doing things that maybe are the things that are easy or that people want to rally you behind. And you're so good at kind of like, 
hey, I know where I'm, my lane is and I know where the things are going and I'm open. I mean, it's a testament to all the work you've put in. It's been, you know, as a friend and someone that I've loved where you're going. I also love kind of like we share a path we kind of approach things um, a little bit differently. I think it's, we need more people approaching things the way you do. We also need more people doing business uh, the way that you do. And I would say last but not least, more people need to hire you to put them, put you in front of them because I think this is where we're moving and we do have to have different voices approaching things differently and hopefully inspiring people um, to embrace the future. So uh, Crystal, I, you are truly a rock star. This was um, my pleasure. I was super excited to have you on the show. Um, when when I listed out the first five guests that I wanted, you were on that first uh, mm-hmm. list. And it was because you are an amazing human that's doing amazing things. So I'm going to give you one last question before we wrap. And okay. the question for the futurist thing. What is what is next for Crystal? I'm not, I don't like five-year, 10-year predictions. Um, I, what is next for Crystal? What is either, and you can take it anywhere you want. I'll, I'll leave it at that. What's next for Crystal? Oh, that's such a big question. And I'm trying to think of what, what I want to reveal right now. Um, well, I like that even better because there's like a little bit of FOMO there, right? No, because there's, there's a little there's, bit of, uh, that, and, and for those that don't know, I just brought back FOMO fans, the podcast, which Crystal didn't know, but she just teased <laughs> it out. So I paused for five months. I paused that podcast because I was tired of, <laughs> I couldn't talk about fear and in the world we're in, but um, yeah, okay. So what, what do you want to tease out? Or maybe you know, where else you can take it wherever you want. What's next for Crystal? I would say most of the things that I'm looking at right now revolve around the fact that it's time for me to pull as many people as I can along the way with me and then elevate them above me. And so some of the things I'm looking to towards the future, and I don't mean just mentoring, I do that, but um, I realize I have access to some opportunities just like you, Brian, that other people don't. And it's put me in a unique position where I was like, you know, I can launch a lot of people into some great spaces and the world needs to see them and they need to be there. And so that's kind of where I'm headed. Oh, I love that. And I love that you said you're pulling, right? There's lots of people that can talk about bringing people on the journey, but if you pull them along on the journey, that's what we need, right? We we all need to be pulled. It's not just about setting the elevator down. It's about setting the elevator mm-hmm. down, pulling them in the elevator and bringing them up with us. Uh, Crystal, it was truly a pleasure. I'm going to put all your show notes, all the things um, uh, in the in the show notes below. I'll make sure to link out to everything that you have going on. Um, I, you know, I love collaborating. I love working with you. And really, I mean, the reason this podcast exists is that similar I wanted to connect the amazing people in my community with the amazing people in my community, right? I just, I'm so blessed to have amazing people like yourself. So uh, for those that are listening, thank you so much for watching live and listening on the podcast. Uh, Make sure to check out Crystal, give her a follow on uh, the social channels listed in the show notes as well. Uh, Until next time, my friends, remember, there's no better time than right now to tell your story, press the damn button, put yourself out there together. We're going to do great things together. And, uh, If it wasn't put out there before, Crystal did an amazing job putting it out there. Thanks so much. Make it a great day. Cheers. Cheers.